Well, I want to talk to you today about tough love. Tough love. Years ago, I remember a Christian psychologist wrote a book to Christians because he just couldn't believe the mamby-pamby way they were raising their kids. And he did an entire book, I believe it was Dr. Dobson, was called Tough Love. That somehow we think that love is weak, that love is permissive, that love does nothing, that love doesn't want to offend. Or, and, and he began to teach to parents how to raise kids who are not just walking in love, but they're tough and they're strong, warrior princesses, men who will stand up for God. And, and I was just thinking about that as I was preparing some of the thoughts I want to share today. You see, I'm a preacher's kid. And uh, I go against the statistics. If uh, anybody who's raised in church knows the preacher's kids were usually the worst. The preacher's kids were the ones who gave up all hope because they saw what was going on behind the scenes of every church. And I, I was so turned off, not by my parents who were pastors, they're amazing, but by what people thought church was. And uh, we had this standing joke. People who go to church sit in their own pew. And so I swore I would never follow my dad's footsteps or my mom in being a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking adamant. I'm talking no way. Had my career all set up. I was training in sports. I was actually in track and field, training for the Olympics. I had uh, universities in the States all set up for a full scholarship, and, and there's no way. And yet I knew deep inside that there was something in my heart. I love Jesus. No qualms about it. I just couldn't stand church. Anybody know how I'm feeling here? Am I just the only one in the building? <laughs> I think most of you are here because you felt the same way. And I hated religion. The more I studied the Bible, Jesus would look at religious people and go, you're like a whitewashed coffin. You look good on the outside, inside, you dead. He told them off all the time. One day, Sal and I were out, and we were on Main Street, Winnipeg. And we kind of heard about this crazy guy who was preaching in one of the missions on Main Street. So I would go and see what it was about. So we walked into this little mission, and uh, there wasn't very many people in there. But he was a preaching machine. I mean, screaming, jumping, running across the stage. Tell the he had the you know the corded mics back then. He'd hit the end of the cord, and the mic would get kind of pulled like this, and he'd stop and turn around. and And so I just started laughing at him. And uh, Sally, you know, she's so very quiet, Leon, Leon, quiet. And I just this guy's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to calm myself down. And all of a sudden, he goes, white-haired guy. Priest shouting, preaching machine. He goes, you, young man, come here. <laughs> so I look behind me, and I'm in the back row. I knew he was talking to me. And my mom and dad had taught me, don't you ever be sacrilegious. The Bible's filled with examples of men 
and women who came against men and women of God. Touch not mine anointed. Don't do my prophets any harm. And so I'm walking up and I'm repenting on the way. I seriously, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have laughed. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And he wasn't smiling when I got to the front. I'm about to be dressed down in public. Oh, man. So I got to the front and he walks up to me and I'm just, and then he, he was wet from here to his knees. It was warm day, no air. And he goes over and he grabs me in a sloppy, wet hug. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, oh man, what in the world? And then he just starts to cry. It wasn't a few tears. He just started to sob. And I'm, what in the world? I'm just freaked out, my hair standing on end. And he just starts to sob and he starts to pray to God. And he says, God, I've been faithful all my life. I ask you to transfer whatever you can into this young man right now. I'm thinking, what? Then he backs off from this prayer and he points at me and he begins to tell me what was going on in my heart. You've said in your heart that you will not go into the ministry. You've told God, Frosty, he didn't say Frosty Friday in hell. He said, you could never. There is two things that you're upset about when it comes to the ministry. And you say, well, God, I'll do it if you give me these two things. And God says, of course. And I'm just, he told me what was going on in my heart. And he said, you're called to the ministry. Do not go pursue these things you've set up. And he said, and if you do, and he began to give me dates and five things that would take place on our ministry. And he put dates on the first three, bam, bam, bam. And I'm just like this. And at that point, I made a decision. And I slowly began to pull myself out of all that was being set up. It's a long story, but the biggest thing for me was I am not interested in trying to lead a bunch of ooey-gooey, mamby-pamby, dippity-doo Christians who think walking in love is doing nothing but praying and hoping while the big bad world slop, slaps us silly off our seats and... and there was just no way I wanted to lead that. And then God began to take me on a journey through the word. He began to show me what a child of God, a follower of Christ, should look like. He gave me a new look at Jesus. He showed me that God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the new. We have. His covenants have, but God hasn't changed. And so I want to talk about this today. I want to prepare you for the future because you will never fulfill the passions and the dreams inside your heart if you're going to listen to the religious people. Oh, they'll judge you because your shirt's too open, your dress is too short, your car's too expensive. Like religion just judges everybody. Jesus would often say, I don't judge you. Just go, sin no more. He, he walked in such value for people. And so who are we as followers of Christ? I sometimes hesitate to use the word Christians because it's used by so many people and it's almost lost its meaning. So we are followers of Christ. Who are we? When I was a kid, there was this song that was Christians would uh, listen to and it was a real tear jerk. Ever, you know, when you're really hurting and somebody will sing a mournful song, you can tear up a little bit. And so there was this song, I can't remember how it goes, kind of like, um, I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger 
walking through this world of woe. And the whole song was so depressing that this world is not my home, but one day, kind of in the sweet by and by. And its message was, just suck it up and take it because there's nothing you can do. And the most God's going to do is give you a little psychological comfort while you're sick, diseased, poor, bankrupt, beaten, whipped. I kind of thought, oh, how do we spread the gospel like that? Come be beaten, whipped, sick, bankrupt, unhappy, and depressed like me. Come to church and learn how to be this. And so I begin to dive into the word. I've been preaching now for 40 years more from the pulpits. And I had a chance to get into the word and say, God, I had a chance to teach the word to people and, and then see the impact on their family, their finances, their marriages, their kids, then their grandkids. I've had an opportunity to see generations rise up in our church. And I know that when you get a hold of the word of God and really fall in love with this Jesus, that life is not what religion has shown us. You see, so many of us think that love is this, uh, you know, don't disturb people. Just don't confront people. Just, you know, walk in love. And to them, love means do nothing don't confront anything. Don't disagree with leadership. Tell that to John the Baptist who got into King Herod's face and told him. Tell that to the Apostle Paul who spoke to leader after leader and governments and, and shared with them. Like the church of Jesus Christ was not designed to be this pathetic little group of, uh, uh, of people with their tents wandering through life, haggardly hoping that everything goes good till we die and finally have a great home in heaven one day. It just, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible doesn't teach things like uh, we are to be non-confrontational. We are to be non-violent. Really tell that to Jesus who went with a whip through the temple, kicked over uh, the tables because they were ripping people off who would come to Jerusalem and couldn't have a sacrifice. And so they way upcharged them and were just raking money from them. Just Take a look at what's going on, and you'll recognize that the church of Jesus Christ, Hebrews says that this new covenant is better than the old covenant David had, Samuel had, that Barak had, that Joshua had, that all these incredible leaders Solomon had. They had the old covenant. We've got a new one, which is better. But I'm hard-pressed to find leaders as wise as Solomon, as courageous as David, as listening to the voice of God as Samuel. Women who rise up and save nations like Esther. Where have all these great men and women gone? Oh, we're just walking through the world of woe. Down here, just a cabin. Up there's a mansion. And we're just trying to stay dumb till he comes and just stay out of the radar and just get through. Really, if we don't be careful, our kids are going to look back at us and just shake their heads at our lack of courage to get up and try to change a city, to train, change a nation, to keep freedom alive, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that our grandkids can continue that work. But if we sit around and do nothing, it only takes one generation that does nothing for the enemy. He's not stopping. Oh, you didn't think we had an enemy? 
I've been listening to some pretty amazing podcasts of atheists, more than one. And they'll sit there and talk about what's been happening in the last couple of years and how things can be so shut down and, and how that, you know, democracy is taking the most major hit and, and across the nations, crazy leaders going in and, and they're going, what in the world? And one, one gentleman, the first guy I heard, he says, you know, I'm an atheist, but I've begun to believe in an actual evil. I believe there's a devil. I, my mouth just dropped. He was one of the richest, most brilliant men. And he's beginning to talk. And I begin to find others who begin to look to Christianity as they couldn't explain some of the crazy things that were going on. And they began to believe in a real evil, not just a psychological dark side and a psychological light side. And we are just both. And there is no spirit world and the things they like to believe. Even Christians have told me, you know, I don't know if I believe in a devil, Leon. I said, well, really, while I wonder what Eve was talking about when the enemy came through a serpent and talked to her. I guess Jesus was just daydreaming when he was led into the wilderness and tempted for 40 days or taken to the top of the temple and told to jump by the devil to prove himself. I guess, like, we have become literally, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we can't be illiterate to the Bible. We need to know the Bible. We need to learn the Bible. And so... Our lives need to be led by the Spirit of God. Every one of you have gifts. Every one of you have callings. Every one of you are not called to just get by in this lifetime. You have been pre-gifted by God. And he's made a path ahead of you so that when you die, there will be something you've left behind that will help the cause of Christ. There'll be something that you've done with such great purpose that the purpose won't be found because, you know, you've got your name on a gold plaque sitting on some tree in some... Uh, no, it will be because of the people, the things that have been done in your life. Romans 8, 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God and the daughters of God. They live in this family of hearing His voice and knowing their giftedness and using it, whatever they've got, to advance the cause of Christ. Some people think that Jesus was this cute little guy with long brown hair wearing a dress with big, beautiful, precious moments, eyes, and he kind of walked around this big cross hanging outside down to here, and I love you. No, oh, don't hit me, don't hit me. <laughs> like, and, and so we get this thought of Christianity, but Jesus very clearly in John 10, 17 says, nobody takes my life, no one. I'll lay it down, and I lay it down because of the people that he loved. And God, his father, loved him for that. So that was Jesus. No, no. Psalms 91, last verse says, you get to decide when you die. What? I thought that there's a time to live and a time to die. Oh, yeah, everyone's got a time to be born and a time to die. It doesn't say it's fixed. It doesn't? No. Well, I heard that when that bullet's got your name on it, your time is done. No, the Bible says that with long life, he'll satisfy you and show you his salvation. There's so much teaching that religion has made, and I believe it's demonic in origin to shut you down, to make you begin to believe so little that you don't even rise up and be everything you could be for the kingdom of God, that we're just passing through. You know, this is not our home. Really, it's not? 
then why are we coming back to a new heaven and a new earth? Why is he going to recreate if it's not our home? Well, Leon, what I mean is like, hey, you know, like that rich man who said, I'm going to build bigger barns, and God said, fool, tonight you'll die. Then who's, yes, I get that, but he was living for money. He was living for fame. He wasn't living for the advancement of the cause of Christ. I had a guy knock on my door one time, and and this religion would go door to door, and he'd try to engage you immediately in something that you'd agree with them on. And so, it was years ago, too. And he said, you know, I said, hi there, I'm so-and-so. And I was about to say, hey, dude, I'm busy. He goes, isn't it awful, the violence that is taking place around the world? And I said, well, I guess it depends. What? All violence is evil and wrong. Oh, I said, so you're telling me that if a thief broke into your house and was going to steal your little girl, you wouldn't get violent. Then he started to stutter. I said, are you kidding me? That guy is done if he walks into my house and tries that. So you're trying to tell me we're going to just say, oh, Jesus bless you. God bless you. Are you kidding me? Like we have such stupid doctrines in the religious side of Christianity. And so something within me said, I've got to, make sure that here at Springs in these last 28 years that, that we can teach people how special you are, how amazing you are, how gifted you are, and that God has commanded the blessing on you. Religion wants to say God's commanded the mediocrity on you. No, he's commanded the blessing. And if the New Testament has a better covenant based on better promises than David's and Solomon's and Samuel's and Esther's and Ruth, then we better start raising some of them up. We better raise up prime ministers and billionaires who finance the kingdom of God and influencers in healthcare, making movies that sell hundreds of millions of dollars, so entertaining and exciting in arts and entertainment. Why do we have such a religious myopic view of what it is to be a Christian? If you've got kids, they've got different gifts. They've got different personalities. What are you going to tell them? Just attend church, carry a big six foot, six inch thick Bible. And you know, and one day when we get to heaven, no, down here is the playing field. Heaven is our retirement home, and it's fantastic. But this is where who we are and what's within us counts. Whether, whatever area, whatever you are called to. So this bit about, well, walk in love, Leon. I loved how this Christian psychologist took that on and began to talk about tough love. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So we think that love means you never disagree with somebody. Love means you, you just say, hi, God bless you. But the disciples went from city to city, and they walked into the main streets because they didn't have TV, radio, and social media. Where did you go with a message? You went to the concourses and the streets and the gates of the city, and you would share what the news was you had from another city or what was going on. And these disciples went from city to city, and they just shared, he's alive, Jesus rose again. You heard about this dude named Jesus? He's the son of God. No, no, no. And whole cities were changed. Nations were changed as these people just took this gospel. And people would try to shut them down, try to kill them. I mean, and they did eventually kill 
most of the disciples, but not until they took the gospel to the then known world. And I want you to know that this kind of mamby-pamby, don't you know, raise a stink, don't disagree with government. Don't disagree with government? Are you kidding me? So we are a democracy as never before. We are the government voting in who represents us. Like, what has happened to us to be influencers? We are to be salt and light as the followers of Christ, which means we're to be the predominant influencers in our world. Is that happening? No. Like Zach said, love values people, values them. But yet, Jesus said this repeatedly. He said, when you walk into a home, he's teaching his disciples how to spread the gospel. When you walk into a home as you're on this evangelistic tour, and he says, they say, peace be on this house. And if they accept your peace, stay in that house. And then he says, but if they reject you, your peace will return to you. And if they won't listen to you, here's what he says. Shake the dust off your feet and tell them it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than you. Okay, I just want to ask you, how does that fit into your lovey-dovey theology? Jesus said it. Now, we've got a theology that goes, well, you know, we just walk in love, and we just continue. Of course we do. One person, well, what about my unsaved son? Love him, reach him, stop preaching at him, hand him over to Christ, and go reach somebody else's son. You know, my dad had five boys, and we all weren't great and good. A couple of them didn't want to serve God. And my dad didn't sit in his bedroom praying for 15 years trying to get them to become saved. When he could, he loved them. When he could, he shared with them. He was there for them. And he, get up and, and he got up and reached everybody else's sons and daughters. He got up and shared from prisons to reserves to cities to wherever he could. He wasn't going to sit around fearfully marinating and, oh, I've got... No, he was out doing the things of God. And the people that he reached for Christ reached his sons for God who weren't serving him. We've got to make a decision. The church is not this weak, mamby-pamby group. So love is to value people. But love, who do we love first? God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we love God and we look to him for the direction of our lives, Jesus said in John 10, the people who follow me hear my voice and I lead them by name and show them how to go. And so this love isn't a weak love. I was speaking, I think it was Virginia Beach, but I was speaking in this city, had a, a big naval base there, and the Navy SEALs were trained at the city that I was in. And, and so I think it was like something at like 12 to 17 of them came to the leadership um, conference that I was speaking at and uh, took me out for lunch. And uh, it was just an honor to meet these young men. And uh, so I had a lot of questions for them. And as they're sitting there, I remember the guy sitting beside me. Everyone's eating and chowing down. And so I looked at him, and I just asked him this question. I said, like, so, I said, so you told me that you're a, a Christ follower. Yep, I'm a Christian. I said, so uh, how do you handle going on missions that takes lives? And... Uh, <laughs> You should have seen him. You could tell he'd been asked that question a lot. And he snaps straight up in his chair and he turns to me and he says, I'm here to defend the United States of America and my family and my home and the freedoms that we can... I mean, 
I went, thank you, agree. <laughs> like, when we understand that love isn't just allowing evil to destroy your children, your way of life. Just Well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Okay, he's talking to arrogant, proud people. And he's saying, don't get so arrogant and proud that you're fighting over every dumb little thing people say and do. You know, words are going to come. He said, you're going to suffer like me. How did Jesus suffer? Well, he didn't suffer from sickness, disease, or beating, or poverty until he went to the cross. The suffering in context is that people didn't like him. Can you figure that out? People didn't like Jesus. Healed the sick, fed them, turned water into wine. You'd think that would help a few people. I mean, really? You don't like Jesus. You hate Jesus. And he said, they'll hate you too. So if you are going to be a Christian and you're going to rise up in business or in wherever area, and it's important to you that everybody like you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. It's not important enough to me that you like me. People have found out I can't be manipulated as a senior pastor. If you don't do this, we're going to leave. Okay, I'll help you find another church. Because I'm going to answer to God one day as to what I've taught and how I've stood and what I've said and where we're going. And I, I love him first. So when it comes to the church who are we? Well, first of all, you need to know you've got an enemy. Yes, a fallen angel. An arrogant, crazy, vindictive, hateful, fallen angel called the devil. And he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. Who says? Jesus said so. John 10.10. 10. So that's our enemy. Our enemy is not people. However, I've got no problem stopping someone influenced by the enemy trying to steal my kid. You get what I'm saying? So then the Bible says faith, hope, and love. Well, let's talk about hope. Because here's where a lot of the church goes. Well, I'm just hoping and praying, Pastor. Oh, what's that supposed to do? Just hoping and praying. I mean, God's going to fight for me. Where do you get that from? Well, I mean, I heard it. Sounds good. <laughs> I do nothing. God fights for me. I do nothing. God prospers me. I do nothing. No. If you're looking at Old Testament type, one time he gave somebody instructions like Gideon. Go to battle with a torch under a vase and a trumpet in one hand. Break the vase. Let the torch be seen in the darkness of the night. Usually one division carried a torch and the rest had their hands on weapons. So when they blew the trumpet, 300 of them, they'd never have that many trumpets because you'd have an unclear sound. It looked like 300 divisions of armies were there and then 300 torches all around them. I mean, this was wisdom from God and they all killed each other off. That was great. But then at the same time, Barak was told by God, go into battle and protect my people and their children and their wives. At the same time, Solomon built an entire kingdom with wisdom. How is God going to lead you with your gifts and abilities individually by God? And they never would do anything unless God guided them. Moses said, I'm not going anywhere without your presence. So your presence better guide me or I'm going to do nothing. We don't just say, well, here's what I thought up, and I'm going to do it this way. Because we got two ditches. we got one Christian group on one side of the ditch, and for every mile of road is two miles of ditch. And the group on one side are just pacifists, and just everyone love us and like us, and we're not going to do anything. Uh, and then on the other side, we got people who want to go grab guns and start shooting people. Are you kidding me? 
but somewhere in that middle sweet spot is the influential power of God flowing through a gifted church that rises up in politics, in healthcare, in the church, in education, in arts and entertainment, and there's enough gifted, the gifting there to rise up and do stunning things to advance the gospel. You'd be shocked if you started reading biographies and autobiographies of history's greatest generals who kept freedom and stopped the enemy at the door from overtaking countries, who went back to their tents and opened up their Bible and put it in front of them, and with tears in their eyes, begin to plan the next day's battle. They fought for freedom. They fought for the things that generations would thank them for. And then the Christian church comes along and says, oh, we're just going to hope and pray. Really? You're just going to hope and pray? Well, I got bad news for you. That's not going to work for you. It's going to be bad for you. It's going to be bad for your kids. It's going to be bad for your kids' kids. Why? Because hope is only one of the three. You see, hope is not, well, I'm hoping and praying. Hope is a supernatural ability. That the, 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 and, it's, and what I would call hope is the bullseye of what your desires are. Hope is the desires that are in you, a desire to, 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 to raise up your family and home and peace and prosperity, the desire to rise up and help those marginalized and hurting and those who are being abused all around you. And what we're going to just say, well, I guess, no. Hope is the goal setter. Hope, and hope is special. If you've gone through things like I have, and whether it's a financial problem or a health issue, a relationship issue, and there's no hope on the, in this physical world, but you've got hope in Christ. Abraham talks about against hope, against physical hope. He believed in a spiritual hope that God had given him and a supernatural ability to go there. But he didn't stop at hope. Hope is the goal setter. Good, you got goals. But hope is not a plan. Hope is not a plan of action. Hope is not a course of action. Hope is one of three steps. Then the Bible talks about faith. So love is our motive. And if you can keep love your motive, you'd be motivated. If you can keep love as your motive, you'll know how to not, you know, hate and vengeance, even when you're dealing with hard things, because you're doing it from, a, from a, a heart of love, you won't go overboard. You won't go too far, it, you know, etc. So love is our motive. Hope is the goal setter. But faith is what gets things done. Faith has two parts that we need to be aware of. James teaches us that faith without works is dead. Faith without corresponding actions is dead. James says, you say, well, I'll show you my faith by my faith. Another of you says, I'll show you my faith by my actions. He says, the word says, faith without corresponding actions is dead. That means the church of Jesus Christ can't sit around hoping and praying. Get up and vote. Get up and talk. Get on your social media. Get up and get involved. Raise up kids who can be leaders in all these areas of lives. Get up and think because if Solomon can think and he was the wisest guy that ever walked, Jesus is wiser than him and you've got his mind. We ought to have this plethora of anointed, wise, amazing, gifted people influencing in every area. 
That's the follower of Christ, not some dead church sitting in their own pew, uh, judging the world and calling the world down, waiting to be rescued from this world of woe. This is our assignment down here. Our assignment. Your assignment doesn't say, well, you know, I'm going to just sit around and if God wants it, it'll happen. One guy, he, was, he said it this way, you know, when it comes to giving, I'm very generous. Oh, yeah, what do you do? He says, I take my money and checks and income, and I throw it up in the air, and I say, God, anything you want is yours. Anything that lands is mine. <laughs> I say, you're such a great giver. Yeah. We've got to understand that hoping and praying is not a course of action for your marriage. Your wife is going to look at you and go, well, I don't need a change in my marriage. I'm hoping and praying. She doesn't want a guy who hopes and prays. She wants a guy who changes and believes. Same the other way. Like, it just does not work. It's just ridiculous. And so my time is up, but let's shut her down here. It's interesting that we think the love of God is weak and mamby-pamby, but God is not that way. Let me read you a few verses, and then let me explain them to you. John 36, those who believe in the Son have eternal life, but those who do not obey the Son will never have God's life. But the wrath of God remains on them. Oh, how does that fit into your doctrine? Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to go to the world. Then in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And it goes on talking about how even people who don't believe in him, they know he's real deep inside. They can see him through nature. Well, Leon, the new covenant, this is new covenant. This is the book of Romans. How about 1 Thessalonians 1.10? To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Ephesians 5, 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He's not talking about disobedient Christians. He's talking about the kingdom of darkness, those who have rejected Christ. This world that we live in, there's an assignment upon the followers of Christ to bring the gospel to the world in a powerful, confident, courageous way. In Revelation, it has a verse that has really become one of my favorites. It says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But then he begins to explain the attributes of people without Christ. But the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars... They have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So everything that is labeled here as from the kingdom of darkness, cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, it's talking about the opposite is true in the kingdom of God. That there's a courage, there's a strength, there's an anointing upon us to get up and live our lives. The Bible literally says when we begin to walk in the place God's prepared for us, the world will look at us and they will want what we have. 
It says blessed, it means happy, fortunate, and to be envied. And that is why, as the church, we should love the people, yes. We reach out to people, yes. But if, and even as Jesus was telling his disciples, okay, you're not getting anywhere, they're not listening to you, shake the dust off your feet, because there's thousands more in the valley of decision who would listen to somebody. Stop wasting your time there if this is where I'm called you to do. So being led by the Spirit of God is the key to your future. And I want to challenge you. I just pray, and as I'm wandering through some of these thoughts, that you have a new look at Jesus. He's not a long brown-haired guy with precious moments eyes and a dress with flip-flops going peace, peace. Revelation says he's the king of all kings. And it begins to explain what he looks like right now. So let's love God. Let's love our neighbors. Let's get up and bring this gospel to the world. Let's make sure that we use the gifts and the abilities. And let's not just sit around praying and hoping. Let's motive being love, hope being the goalpost, and let's believe God and start to act on that training and equipping ourselves in business and arts, entertainment, education, whatever area God's called you to, let's rise up and influence till the world sees how good God is and desires the real truth about following Jesus. Father, I pray today that you'd help every one of us to recognize who you are, that, Father, we would choose you, we would invite you into our heart, that, Father, we'd make a decision to follow you. I want to close my message down with a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that is open to everyone here. Some of you have prayed it. But I'm going to lead all of us out loud in the prayer of getting right with God, joining his family, being forgiven for everything, God coming into your human spirit, giving you a brand new start. It's a prayer I prayed and I've never been sorry for. In Calgary there, there's a leader at the front right now. Those who are watching from around the world and those who are in this auditorium, with every head bowed, if you're here and you'd say to me, Leon, today I want to get right with God. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow him all across this auditorium. Just you folks, would you open your eyes and give me a wave just saying, include me today. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ all across the auditorium. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Others, give me a quick wave. Thank you. Thank you. Ushers, give me a hand if I'm not seeing hands. Thank you back there. For those who are watching us, pray out loud this prayer as we pray together. Let's pray this out loud. Just say, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus who died in my place so I could be forgiven and a part of your family. Come into my heart. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.